You want to be a doctor, but you don't know where to start. Perhaps dentistry slipped your mind, but because of lack of resources, you dropped out of nursing school because you failed pharmacology. You don't come from the right family, so now you can't pursue pharmacy. You want to become a physician assistant, but you're unaware of their role in healthcare. You don't know a single black optometrist, and now you're afraid to be the first. Welcome to Melanin in Healthcare, the best uplifting healthcare podcast, bringing you the necessary education, representation, and inspiration to encourage you to pursue your dreams in healthcare. Today, we have a special guest, and she is going to talk about her journey as a physician. Dr. Eva, welcome to the show. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. And so tell us about your specialty and how did you know medicine was for you? So um, I'm an internal medicine hospitalist, and what that is is a doctor who practices internal medicine. And I say hospitalist because I'm strictly in the hospital setting. I don't do outpatient medicine. I only see patients that are sick enough to be admitted to the hospital. Um, Growing up, my mother and father were both doctors. So um, just seeing them and what they were doing, the impact they had on the lives of, of others and how passionate they were about their career You know, when you see your parents doing such good and your parents are your heroes when you're growing up. So as a little girl, I always wanted to be like my parents and I never changed my mind. I always knew early on that I wanted to be a doctor. Wow, that's amazing. (laughs) So (laughs) what inspired you to write your book, Paging Dr. You? Tell us about it. So Paging Dr. You came about... um, Well, having gone through the whole medical school thing, you know, um, undergrad, medical school, studying for my exams, going through residency, being a woman and on top of it, being a black woman, I saw firsthand the struggles and the challenges that we had to go through. But in general, minorities have a harder time And I wanted to write a book as a guide to help the younger generation, those who really want to be doctors or want to go into um, a field in medicine and they have no clue where to start, what to do, who to talk to. They need a guide. So I wanted to write this guide to help that generation have a go-to. Um, In medicine, it's only two and a half percent black female doctors and two and a half percent black male doctors. So it's about five percent of black doctors in the U.S., which to me, that number is so low that I felt inclined to to find a way to help others, especially minorities, so that we can get that number up higher. Right, right. Tell us your most interesting story so far in your career. Um, interesting story. I have so many stories. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I start? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's working in the hospital. I see a lot. Um, the good, the bad, 
I can't say that I have this one interesting story. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, tell us about one experience in the hospital that was good. Tell us about what? What was the question? Sorry. I said, you good. One experience in the hospital that was really good. And you're like, oh, I love it. (laughs) Oh, well, I just love the feeling of trying to figure out what's going on with someone and then actually figuring it out. And they come in very sick and they come out ready to run a marathon, pretty much, Mm -hmm. you know, feeling great. Um, They have answers. They have solutions. They have hope. I just love that. So that brightens up my day when that happens. So tell us about your cosmetic line. How did you start it? I love, medicine is not everything that I love. I love fashion. (laughs) I love beauty. Um, I just love being a girly girl. And um, going through medical school and even going through residency, I always tried to find the time to glam up when I could, because I felt like when I dressed up and did my hair and did a little makeup, it gave me a little boost of confidence. And I realized that applying my makeup, sometimes it would stay the whole day, but my lipstick, I had to reapply and reapply and reapply every time you eat or every time you're drinking, or, you know, you have to keep reapplying your lipstick. You don't have to keep reapplying your makeup all day, right? You might be dabbing here and there, but once you do your makeup, it's done. So I was like, hmm, there has to be a better way of applying lipstick to where you can put it on if you're a busy professional, and you can just put it on and not have to worry about not only your makeup, but your lipstick too, and you just look good all day. So I got together with one of my really good friends. We call each other sisters. Um, She is a cosmetologist. She's in the fashion industry. And she's done a lot of things with makeup artistry as well. And so we came up with Dramatically Real, which is a strictly lip line. We're expanding into other things, but it's all lips. But we started out with just lipstick. And we came up with this formula that's long lasting, almost 24 hour wear. Um, We wanted it to be affordable, accessible, and natural with, you know, good nutrients for your lips. So that's how it came about. The idea came about that way. That's good, that's good. And what is the best part of your career? The best part of my career is, the service that I do for others, what I'm able to provide to others. With medicine, sometimes you have to be selfish um, when it comes to fulfilling your needs because you're having to put your patient's needs first. And sometimes just seeing the impact of what I do just makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I'm giving back and I'm doing something good in the community. That's the best part, I would say. Right. How do you balance your career life with your family life? I get that question a lot. It's not easy. It's a daily struggle for me. I'm always trying to figure out ways to be present for my patients, you know, my full-time job at the hospital, and then finding ways to be present for my family, my husband, my children, 
and um, also trying to find ways to be present for me. Um, putting me in the equation has not been easy because I, I was so used, we're so used as women to, we're so used to taking care of others that we forget to take care of ourselves. So I only started putting me in the equation, I want to say maybe three years ago, like pretty recently, three, four years ago. It hasn't been that long when I started realizing the impact that it was having on my physical and my mental, always putting others first, that I started plugging myself into our calendar. So I have days where I say, well, today I'm going to do me. I'm just going to get my hair done, get my nails done, or go work out, or do something nice for myself. Um, but having to balance all of that, I can't say I have the formula. I can't say I know exactly what the answer is. I just know that I wake up every day trying my best to split everything into equal portions. Right. That's true. What do you do when you face challenges? When I do face challenges, which happens a lot, and I think many of us face challenges almost every day, um, some bigger than others, I try to look at the positive. Um, I feel like your mind can play a lot when it comes to your day-to-day -day activities. Mindsets, mindset is very important. So if I try to shift my mindset into looking at the positive in every situation, even if it's a very bad situation, there has to be a light at the end of the tunnel. I don't wanna dwell on the negative. I don't wanna dwell on the darkness. So I try to train my brain and it takes time to shift the way you used to think and only try to think positive and look at the good things in any situation that's something that I've been training myself to do. And as you train yourself forcefully to do that, it becomes easier along the way. So when, I, when I'm faced with challenges, I try to look at the good. And when I look at the good, I can come up with good solutions to try and get through it. Right. So what advice can you give someone who really wants to embark on this journey, but they feel like giving up, you know, maybe their pre-med advisor told them they can't do it and other things. I've gone through it too. I've had pre-med advisors tell me, are you sure? I don't think you could do it. I think it's going to be a waste of time. I mean, I know what it's like to go through that journey. That journey is already not an easy journey. And when you have people along the way that are discouraging, negative, always trying to bring you down, it makes it even harder, especially when it's an advisor, because the advisor is supposed to encourage you and, and try to meet you where you are to help you reach your goal. So I've had advisors tell me that maybe it wasn't a good idea. When I started undergrad, coming from high school, I feel like undergrad was so much harder that I wasn't prepared. So my first semester, I had to drop out of a couple of classes. I didn't do well my first semester. So I did have an advisor tell me, well, maybe this is not for me. Um, my advice would be, you know, to follow your heart. If this is really what you wanna do, it's your passion. That's what you only see yourself doing. Why does it matter what other people think or what other people tell you? You should be telling yourself and encouraging yourself. Um, so if that's really what you, what you want to do, there are going to be challenges along the way. It's not going to be easy. Just know that. But knowing that, keep pushing through. Um, again, every challenge that you face, 
tried to look at the positive. We all had to go through challenges along the way. None of us started from point A to point B um, on a smooth sailing line. That does not happen, especially in medicine. So just keep doing what your heart desires. You're going to get there. Right. If you could start all over, what would you change about your path? (laughs) If I could start, I have bad days to where I'm like, man, did I pick the right career? Like there are days like that. I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. I wear too many hats. I'm tired. Um, I'm not sleeping well. That, That happens where sometimes you doubt what you, what you put yourself into. But for the most part, I'm pretty happy with my career. I think if I could start all over again, I probably would have chosen the same career. I may have done a couple of things differently, um, such as maybe wait a little longer before having kids and enjoying myself a little bit more. Because I feel like for me, it's been back to back to back to back to back. Um, But I think that would have been, you know, what I would have changed. Because I went from high school, no break, to undergrad, no break, to med school no break to residency, no break to getting married, no break to having kids, no break. (laughs) And then straight into a job and then straight into other things. So I probably would have waited until having kids because that's a huge responsibility. And I would have taken the time to just enjoy life a little bit. Hmm. Do you wish you would have taken a gap year? Between undergraduate and medical school? Um, probably not. Not for me. I mean, some people, it works <laughs> for them. But for me, because the journey um, was a long journey, I wanted to just keep going and mm. keep the momentum going. I didn't want to slow the momentum. I was just afraid that it was going to feel so good that I wasn't going to have the energy to go back into it. Mm. So um, everyone's different. But for me, no. Right. Okay. So if you had the option to be in a different setting, I know you said that you work, you were a hospitalist. So if you had the option to be in a different setting, such as academics or private practice, would you do it? I would not do academics. I don't have the patience. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have have the patience. I mean, never say never, but academics is not for me. You got to be patient to be teaching all the time. Teaching every once in a while, that's fine. But from morning to end of the day, all day, every day, that's not me. You have to be super patient for that. Um, and then private practice, I tried it. Uh, I wasn't really satisfied with it. I started out as a hospitalist from straight from residency when I first got my when I got my first job. And then mm-hmm. I thought, well, man, this is this is a lot. Let me try private practice. Maybe the pace will be a little bit less fast. <laughs> So I left hospital medicine, tried the private practice thing, and it's a different type of struggle. It's a different type of hard. Mm-hmm. That wasn't for me. Um, so <laughs> I left private practice and went back to hospital medicine. <laughs> Sometimes you don't realize how something is until you leave it, until it's gone and you try other things. Then you start realizing mm-hmm. what it was really like to have the other thing. And that's what happened yeah. to me. Right. What does a typical day look like you look like for you? Like when does the day start and end, the type of patients, you know? So the reason why hospital medicine works for me, um, and some people like private practice instead, is and that I'm gonna explain that before I even explain why my day what my day to day is like. 
um, is because usually with hospital medicine, you have block schedules where you're working seven days straight and you off seven days. Sometimes people do five straight and five off. So you get a few off days. My schedule is seven on, seven off. The on days is usually very, very hectic. And I'll tell mm -hmm. you why in a minute. Um, the off days, of course, I love because I don't have to go to work. I could do whatever <laughs> I want. And I'll explain that in a minute. And then outpatient medicine, private practice is usually Monday through Friday. Um, with hospital medicine, you're doing 10 to 12 hour shifts. With private practice, usually you start between 8 or 9 a.m. And you're done by 4 or 5 p.m. usually. And that's Monday through Friday. The Monday through Friday thing I thought I was going to like better because of the pace. But it actually turned out to be more for me because I felt like I only had the weekends, the two days for that week. And that was the two days that I was doing everything. If I needed to go buy groceries or run to the post office or find a bank that was open or, you know, because by the time I left private practice and came home, the banks were closed, the post office were closed. I had to, you know, pick up the kids from school and the day was gone. So I was like, man, and, and two days goes by fast. Saturday and Sunday goes by fast. Next thing you know, it's Monday. You back at it again. With hospital <laughs> medicine, the seven days that I'm off, um, I wake up, take the kids to school. You know, we get the kids ready. We take them to school. Then I'm back at the house and I can plan my schedule the way I want it. I may have a day where I'm meeting a couple of friends out for lunch. I may have a day where I'm sleeping in. I may have a day where I'm working on my business or a day where I'm doing, you know, running errands, buying groceries, things like that. While the kids are in school, I'm more effective. I'm not like packing the kids with me everywhere. So that's the seven, those seven days, really, I don't have a schedule. I just plug things into my calendar and I, I take care of things that I need to do. The seven days right. that I'm on, my day usually starts at 6 a.m. Every once in a while, we have the late afternoon shift that the hospital gives us. But usually, it's 6 a.m. to 4 p.m. We do 10-hour shifts. Um, I wake up at 4.30. Everyone is sleeping in the house. I leave the house by 5, 5.15, because I put on scrubs now. I'm not getting ready anymore because of corona. <laughs> so... <laughs> My getting ready time in the morning has shrunk so much and I'm loving it. So I leave the house between 5 and 5.15. I'm at work around 5.30. I don't leave far from the hospital. So I'm starting my shift before the shift really starts. And I like it that way because I'm by myself in the office. A lot of the hospitals have not gotten there yet. So I'm ready to, you know, print out my list, go over my patients' duties, their labs, what's going on, what happened the night before, the day before, et cetera. And then I go on the floor and I start rounding. I round for about two to three hours. Then I come back to the office. That's when I sit down and really do the work. That's when you start opening up one patient at a time. You open up the chart. You know, you start um, going through what the consultants have said. I'm writing my notes. I'm making phone calls to the families. I'm making phone calls to the consultants. I'm writing orders. You know, I'm doing all of that. So the bulk of the work is done at that time. Um, and then I leave maybe around three, four. Very rarely I leave after four. I try to do everything while I'm there and try not to bring any notes home. Um, so then the kids come home and then 
I have that duty going on at the house. And then we start over again the next day, 4.30 in the morning for seven days. Right. So that seven days is, is hectic because when I come home, I don't really have the time to rest since now I have the other responsibility of motherhood. Right. Has there ever been a time where on your seven days that you were off, you had to get called in because someone took off? No, no. If somebody takes off, then um, there's an email or a text sent to everyone that's off. That's not working that week. And then usually there's always somebody that picks up the shift. It's always somebody that that volunteers to pick up the Uh shift. Yeah, because if they do pick up that shift, it's an extra shift. They either make the extra money or that person that had to take off owes them a day and will take Mm -hmm. a day from them when it's their week on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What assumptions do people have about doctors that just aren't true? It's well, let me speak about what's going on now with the coronavirus. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. I have patients who think that we work for the government or we work with the drug company. So pushing those drugs because we benefit Mm -hmm. from it or we're getting paid on the back end. That's a huge Mm -hmm. misunderstanding or that's that's a straight up lie, honestly. And and you do have some patients that think that Um, we've had patients come to the hospital and we diagnose them with the corona and they're like, no, you're lying. You're just saying that because Mm -hmm. you want to give us the medicine, because if you give us the medicine, you're going to make money off of it. You know, things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a misconception. At the end of the day, we're physicians and our duty is to take care of our patients and put our patients first and do no harm. We have our patients' best interest and we have no um, affiliation with any of those pharmaceutical companies or any of those other things. We do what's best for the patient based on the knowledge that we have. Right. Where do you see yourself in five to seven years? Five to seven years, wow. Um, I'm still going to be practicing medicine. I don't necessarily think I want to practice medicine full time. I think I do want to venture out and do other things um, with medicine as a part time duty. What those other Mm -hmm. things are, I'm not exactly sure. But I know that in the next five years, I want to be part time medicine and do other stuff that, that will make me more flexible and spend more time with my family. That's good. Would you ever see yourself changing careers? Because I know a lot of doctors, they often switch to law. (laughs) (laughs) So medicine is a very um, prestigious career. When you tell someone you're a doctor, they're like, wow, that's amazing. Because they know that the journey is long and they know that the journey is not easy. However, with everything that's transpiring, It's not what it used to be. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of politics involved. Um, And by politics, I don't mean the the politicians. I mean Mm -hmm. other things like insurance companies and the stuff that we're having to do to cover ourselves just in case of a lawsuit. Like there's there's other things, a lot of stressors involved. It's a very high demanding career and a very stressful career. At the same time, it's a very rewarding career too. So 
to answer your question, I don't know. I, I just, <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, uh-oh, can you hear me? I, I don't know what happened with my phone. Can you repeat the question again? I just want to make sure I answer it correctly. <laughs> I said, would you think about going to another career, a career oh. change? Yeah, so that's <laughs> where I was headed. So it with all of this involved, I think a lot of doctors have stopped practicing altogether. Maybe the stress was too much for them and have switched gears and done other things. Um, opened up businesses, blogging even, or done things that have nothing to do with medicine whatsoever. I've seen it so many times. For right. me, I don't think I would switch careers per se, but I would probably add other titles to my name, you know, do right. other things and keep medicine there only because I do have a passion for it. But I also wanna do, I also see myself doing other things. I don't wanna just be a doctor alone. Mm -hmm. That's true. So in your opinion, which one is harder, step one or the MCAT? <laughs> I think <laughs> I think step one is hard. I think step one, in my opinion, step one is one of the hardest exams out there. It's so much to cover, so much to go through. It's very intense. The MCAT is too, but step one has <laughs> way more material, way more things that need to be remembered mm -hmm. and studied. So right. that's that's... Yeah, hands down, I would say step one. <laughs> wow. So tell us about your residency program. Did you enjoy the program? No. <laughs> you want me to be honest? So <laughs> I've learned a lot during residency. and You're supposed to learn. So that program allowed me to be the physician that I am today. It was very intense. I'm not saying I enjoyed it. But I needed it to, to be who I am today and have the knowledge that I have today. The reason why I did not enjoy it is many factors. One, I really wanted to be in a residency program that was close to home because I feel like I was gone so much, you know, leaving the house, at, leaving home at 17 to start undergrad. Since undergrad, I've been away from home. So when I started when I was applying for residency, I was hoping that I was going to get into a program in the city where my family was, and that was Florida. Even if it wasn't in Miami where my parents were, I was hoping to be in the state of Florida, to be close to home, drivable distance, you know. So I ended up in Georgia. That was one thing that kind of brought me down a little bit, you know, being, I was like, man, I'm going to be home I'm going to be away from home again another three years, but it is what it is. And then the second thing was the town in Georgia that I was in was called Macon. And Macon, to me, was so backwards. I'm sorry to say. I mean, there was nothing to do in Macon. There was no really true shopping experience. It was so far away from the airport, like a two-hour drive. Um, so far mm. away from Atlanta where all the action is. So I was like, man, I'm going to spend three years away from home and then three years in a town where there's nothing to do. <laughs> and then the third factor was the fact that it was so much work. The hours are long. 
the calls were literally 30 hour calls. Um, it was just a lot. So that's why I did not enjoy it, but I did learn <laughs> a lot. Right, right. So um, I don't know if you remember, but tell us any tips on how to prepare for the MCAT. <laughs> <laughs> um, the MCAT is not the only thing that will get you into medical school. So it's very important to do well, of course, but I always tell people not to just focus on that. You got to focus on your undergrad courses, your GPA, you know, how well you're doing in those science courses. Um, you also have to focus on your letters of recommendations. You want to get very good letters of recommendations. So developing relationships with your professors, developing relationships with the people that you know will be probably asked to write letters of recommendations, whether you're volunteering at a doctor's office or doing something outside of the school, you know, whoever's going to write you letters of recommendations, you need to develop relationships with them so they can see how hardworking you are and they can get to know who you are as a person to be able to write you a very good letter with substance. Um, so your GPA, your grades, your letters of recommendations, your personal statement, is important too. You have to really have a good personal statement. The MCAT is good, is important too. And then when you do get interviews, you also have to make a lasting impression because what gets you in through the door is everything I just stated, paper. They don't know you as a person. They don't even know what you look like. And then you walk in there then you will validate and make them want you even more. So it's a combination of all these things. And a lot of people get lost into just the MCAT, just the MCAT. You can have a very good MCAT score and your letters of recommendations are, are very average or, or not that good to the point where they're like, oh, we don't care about the MCAT score. Everything else is not, you know, she, she doesn't sound or he doesn't look like a candidate that we need or that we want, you know? So in order to study for the MCAT, I always say plan. Planning is important. You need to plan ahead. This is not the type of exam that you study for last minute. Um, and even if you did do that, first of all, you can't do that. That's impossible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not the type of exam you study for last minute because you still have your classes. You still have a full semester of classes that you need to study for and do well in. And then on top of that, you're adding the MCAT that you have to study. So you have to incorporate that into your schedule, which means you got to plan when you're going to be studying for the MCAT on top of studying for whatever class you're in. If you're in organic chemistry, if you're in physics, if you got anatomy, you got those as well. So um, planning is a huge factor. Some people require a course. I do recommend taking um, a course, you know, um, Kaplan or the Princeton Review or whatever course you want to help you achieve your goals. So it's a lot of prepping and a lot of planning involved. Lots of questions to do, you know, practice exams, all of that. That's true. So as we wrap it up to the end, do you have any last tips for the listeners? Well, I always say that, you know, follow your heart, be true to yourself, be true to your own desires. 
it doesn't matter what your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your boyfriend, your husband, your friend, or anybody else thinks. You can listen to what they have to say. You can take into account what they're saying, but ultimately you need to be the one to follow your passion and what's best for you. And if you think that going into medicine is what you really want to pursue, just know that the road is not going to be easy, but nothing worth having is easy. It doesn't come easy. But at the end of the road, you're going to be so proud of yourself. You're going to be proud that you persevered, you pushed through, and um, you're going to be happy that you followed your passion because you don't want to end up in a situation where you're working towards a goal that's not what you wanted to do. You're going to be unhappy for the rest of your life. So just stay positive. Just be consistent. Ask questions. Ask for help. Make sure the people around you are going to support you and understand you and want the best for you. And you got this. You can do it. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) And so... Thank you so much for watching episode number 11, Internal Medicine Edition. Dr. Eva, thank you for taking the time out of your day to discuss your life as a physician. 